0: Um, okay, you want me to answer the first part about why he's only coming forward now? Because, I, I mean, I it's, it's actually in the, it's in the transcript, I right? That, I mean, yeah. he had not read, the, he was not following the news at the time. Yes. Um, okay, there's a difference between exoneration, okay, and creating or, or finding reasonable doubt. I do not think that this witness um, actually exonerates me in the sense of proving my innocence, okay? Um, I do think that, in a legal sense, he is uh, his testimony um, is creating yet more doubt on top of the DNA and on top of all the pre-existing doubt um, because until now um, the theory, you know, or you know, officially was that um, I committed this crime by myself, um, and it's always been my position since the late 1980s that Elizabeth committed the crime with an accomplice other than myself at the crime scene, and this witness's testimony strongly supports my theory of the case um, because we now actually have a face and a person who goes with my theory. Um, To me the strongest um, uh, uh, connection here really is that um, you know the murder weapon has never actually been found and it's one of the real mysteries of this whole case is what happened to that knife okay and I think we now finally have an answer uh, which is that um, apparently those two, Elizabeth and this, this, this person, um, left the crime scene, that's what I'm assuming, in that brown car. Apparently it apparently broke down, and they pushed it into the woods somewhere where it stayed until she returned uh, or, uh, several months later um, to basically clean up after herself. And um, you know, in, in the heat of the moment, they left it there, the knife, in the car, um, with all that blood. And, and I, I looked at, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen the video of Mr. Buchanan's testimony, but um, what really struck me about the transcript, which I have seen, which the is thing
1: like right,
0: that. is on page 32, um, this has really struck me, right? Um, if you know about the case, then you know why this is striking me so powerfully. This is um, um, bloody footprints on the mat. This is the floor mat in the car and the knife. You know, this this has been, you know, Bloody Footprints has been a theme in my life for a very long time. And even even here again, we have that um, in this uh, man's testimony.
1: Well, uh, did you have something else you wanted to add? I I started to cut you off. Well, um, let me ask you this. You, You had been with Elizabeth. You had a strong relationship at the time. And, you know, your theory or your story now is that, You stayed in Washington and created an alibi. Yes, ma'am. Well, why wouldn't you know who this other person is? Why wouldn't she have confided that in you?
0: When she came back, this was in the early morning hours, around 2 o'clock in the morning on March 31st, 1985, Um, she told me that she had killed her parents, obviously, Um, and asked me to be her alibi. That was her first request, and, of course, the great mistake of my life was you know I realized that wouldn't work, And I then came up with this seemingly brilliant idea to take the rap for her. But the only way to do that, from her point of view, okay, is if she puts herself before me as the victim who needs help. And possibly she could persuade me to help her. But helping her and her other boyfriend, okay, is obviously not going to work. All right? And somebody like Elizabeth would realize that she couldn't come to me as her boyfriend, and tell her, not only have I killed my parents, but in addition, I've got another boyfriend on the side, and you've got to be his alibi, too. Okay, so that, that's... Well, you
1: think that's why she didn't tell you that this other guy yeah, helped? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And she's not doing it now, because this other person, once she tells, if she were to tell the world who this other person is, that is the only person who is an eyewitness to her being there and committing this crime
1: she couldn't okay. be charged with it or
0: She couldn't that. be charged with it, started, right? But she's hoping for parole, right? But she's hoping for parole. There's now a new board, parole board in there, and you know, everybody who was sentenced before 1995 is hoping to make parole. And, of course, her most powerful argument for being granted parole is that supposedly she was not at the crime scene. And she was you know, way off in Washington, D.C., so why not let her go? The last thing she can afford to do is to admit at this stage what really happened. Because then I th- I'm sure, I mean, presumably, you know, you know, parole board members would have some sympathy um, with, with me as the victim of Elizabeth and would then see her as being somebody who basically kept her boyfriend in prison for 25 years for something he didn't do and i'm sure they would or at least i would think that they would not then parole her
1: okay so has anybody ever your defense attorneys for instance at the time ever checked out your theory that you accepted room service and you bought absolutely
0: that, um, did they
1: find the ticket sellers yeah, at the movie absolutely theater? they did
0: in fact right and that was barred under the 21 day rule okay but what happened... Um,
1: Under the 21-day rule after you're convicted, right?
0: Yeah, you, uh, after, you, after the verdict, you have 21 days right. to submit new evidence. But and I they actually found... Uh, because he only found this man after, as you said, after the trial, okay? Now, the movie ticket story is really interesting, okay? Because um, what actually happened is, is that those movie tickets were found in my possession, in my apartment, okay? Um, but Elizabeth didn 't know that because we had gone on the lamb and were in England, okay so when the trial started, her initial testimony was that she only bought one single ticket, and that all the time before that she was just using drugs, getting drunk okay and what happened is, is that my father, a couple of years earlier, had spoken to another lawyer by the name of John Lowe okay and asked him to defend me, and that lawyer did not accept my case but He photocopied the movie tickets. And two years after that meeting with my father, after Elizabeth testified that she bought no movie tickets, he faxed his photocopies to the Commonwealth's attorney. That night, he came into the jail, sat down with Elizabeth, and helped her remember a more accurate version um, of events. And then she came back the next day and testified that, in fact, she had supposedly bought all of the tickets except that what she testified to was that she went to the movies at 2 o'clock, at 4 o'clock, and at midnight. The photocopies of those tickets were not legible. The times on them were not legible. You could see the names of the movies, but you couldn't see the times. And we had the originals because I had had the movie tickets because I'm the guy who bought them, okay? And my my lawyer was unable to confront her with the actual ticket stubs which had the times on them. And instead of 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and midnight, they were at 5.05, 10.15, and midnight. Totally different. So, um, you know. Well,
1: why would you, why would, you, you didn't think, according to some other things I've read of what you mm-hmm. said, you didn't think she was coming to go kill her parents.
0: Oh, God, no. She told me she was meeting her drug dealer because she had a drug debt. Okay? And
1: meeting him where?
0: in Washington, D.C., and she was, well, sorry, she was not supposed to meet her drug dealer. She was supposed to pick up some drugs in Washington, D.C., and transport them to her actual drug dealer, who was a fellow student at UVA.
1: Why would you need an alibi as elaborate as this for a drug dealer?
0: Um, you really didn't, and it didn't smell right to me, okay? But let me finish what, what actually happened. Um, her drug dealer at UVA, um, I'm not going to say his name, okay, because there's, you know, I, 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 know, I named him at the trial, okay? Um, he actually, his mother was a friend of Derek and Nancy Hayson, the victims, okay? And he had actually visited the house several times. He knew the family, okay? Uh, the story that she spun me was that this drug dealer could get her in trouble with her parents for spending a weekend with me in Washington, D.C. Um, this was, you know, and that's what the alibi was actually for. It was not actually for... A supposed drug deal. It was to basically, if if he blackmailed her with her parents, that she would be able to tell her parents what she was doing, which was not buying drugs. Okay, and he could make that th- threat allegedly plausible because he actually knew Derek and Nancy Hazen through his mother she and had been to the house. A of
1: trouble for right. going to D.C. with you.
0: Um, no, no, for doing a drug deal because okay. she, she you know, she had told everybody, including me that she was off of drugs, okay? Um, this did not smell right to me, even at the time, okay?
1: When you went initially this, to D.C., though, was it just for No, it was just weekend? for fun weekend.
0: And then, we, and and then and, while there... Right, and what happened was is that we actually spent the whole day walking around. We, we went to see Porky's Revenge, um, which is, I'm still ashamed of. But um, we uh, went to a, a record store and bought an album, um, the Chicago Art Ensemble, And a a Thai T-shirt shop. And then we went to a restaurant, okay, which had train motifs everywhere. And I thought it was on Wisconsin Avenue, but my lawyer actually found the restaurant. It wasn't on Wisconsin. It was on another one, um, on a parallel street, okay? And there were train motifs everywhere, on the napkins and on the, you know, pictures on the walls and so forth. And that's when she sat down with me and said, honey, I've got a little confession to make, okay? I'm still on drugs, and that was the first one. And then the next one is, I owe my dealer, and I need the car, and I need it right now, okay? And that's when I said to her, no, look, um, I'm going to come with you. And she said, no, 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 you look much too straight. You're so clean cut. If you come around any drug, any druggy types, they're not going to want to have any dealings with me because they're not going to trust you. And that seemed really plausible to me, okay? I mean, I am who I am. Um, you know, I'm... I, th- I think most drug dealers would distrust me. Um, so she wanted the car straight away, and, oh, by the way, while I'm gone, you have to do this. Oh, please, honey, please, honey, do it now. You've got to do it. You've got to promise. Do it for me. I love you so much. And if, you know, if your girlfriend throws that on you right there on the spot, eventually, if you're 18 years old and you're really in love, you're going to cave, even if it doesn't sound right to you, just to sort of, you know, not necessarily shut her up, but, you know, give give her what she wants, okay? I mean, you know, what the Why heck? did you have
1: to rent a car to go to D.C.? Did neither of I, you have a car at school?
0: Right. First-year students are not allowed to have cars, okay. at least back then at UVA. Okay. So So
1: you claimed that you had no idea what was going on this weekend until it happened?
0: Until yeah. she came back, right. right, yes. Biggest shock of my life.
1: And so... And, I mean,
0: you know, I, I want to say something about that, which I'm sure my... Uh, no lawyer I've ever said this to has ever liked this, okay? But I'm going to say it anyway, okay? I've spent 25 years in prison, and I've met some people in here who I consider to be really good people and who are in here for very bad crimes, okay? And one of the things I've really learned from all of that over the last 25 years that probably everybody has the potential to do something really bad, Okay? But whatever anybody does is going to be in character. Okay, so I have no idea whether at the age of eighteen I could have done something violent. I had not done anything violent ever. Okay, um, I have to assume, though, that you know human beings, what they are, are, being what they are, that must have been part of my potential, just as it is, in my opinion, with everybody. But if that had happened it would have been something that would have been in character with me, okay? And I've I've always felt that, you know, you look at how this crime was committed, okay? And this is something which Rick Neaton, actually, my my trial attorney, looked into to some extent. The crime that was committed against Derek and Nancy Hazen was basically a drug, a junkie crime, okay? Somebody on drugs probably with mental illness as a factor, completely losing control and acting out of very strong emotions. And that fits Elizabeth, okay? And I've always felt that, you know, the kind of cr- crime that I might have committed, okay, if that had been in me, which I don't know whether it was, would have been basically at the time, you know, you know I was a Jefferson scholar very academic type, you know, it would have been a highly organized, very structured, you know, well-planned sort of thing. And that's clearly not what this was. This, this particular crime is something that was clearly in Elizabeth's character and clearly not in mine.
1: Well, uh, you know, according to, of course, the investigator's statements, you know, of your, of your letters, the, the dinner plans are set. You know, it sounded to them like this yeah. was planned.
0: Okay, um, if you actually look at that particular dinner scene letter, okay, I mean, this has been much kicked about, okay, um, that's really, in my opinion, at this stage, a deliberate misreading of that letter, okay. That particular letter does not mention murder. It does not mention violence, okay. It very specifically says what the dinner scene is about. It's about the power of love, okay. We were supposed to sit down, and her parents were supposed to be so overwhelmed with how much we loved each other, okay, okay that you know all their you know uh, reservations you know would melt away now you know that's 18 year old tripe okay and i recognize that but you know i was 18 and i was in love and you write stupid things about love when you're 18 and again violence and murder were not mentioned in this letter at all I, I, about a month later i actually met Derek and Nancy Hayson in a restaurant in Charlottesville. And something, I mean, I'm not going to stretch this too far, but, but the point is, is that we had lunch, okay? And I, I could sense immediately that they had some reservations about me because Elizabeth tended to bring home boyfriends and, in her case, also girlfriends that they didn't like, okay? They're usually druggy types or, frankly, lesbians, okay? And um, they were expecting her no- newest boyfriend to be in another walking disaster area. Okay, so there was definitely some hesitancy there. But we spent about half an hour together, and by the end of that meal, um, you know, we were not best friends, but, you know, they had come to know me a little bit, found out I was a Jefferson scholar. Uh, uh, Nancy Haston and I talked about her camera, because in in high school I I was into photography. I was vice president of the camera club and stuff like that. So we had something in common, and we actually had a good conversation, and I did not turn out to be yet another loser, that their daughter was dragging in to upset her parents, you know?
1: You're, you're extremely smart, and everybody knows that, and you've written books, and you're very well you know, educated. Uh, could, I mean, do you think it's conceivable there are, you know, I know you're saying you, you don't know what your potential for violence might have been. Could it be possible that you did do this, and you've convinced yourself you didn't? <laughs>
0: You Come know, on. There's,
1: there's that narcissistic uh, um, denial kind of person that okay. can convince everybody around
0: them too. Um, I'm, you know that. You know. I'm, I'm sure that uh, I know specifically who you're talking about. Of course, uh, uh, Major Gardner, whose entire career and life's work is writing on keeping me in prison. Okay, he's not a neutral observer here. Okay, um, I'm very hopeful at this stage that uh, Governor McDonnell is going to essentially clean up the mess that Major Gardner made. And um, when that happens, and I'm I'm really very hopeful about that, um, then the only one left to blame for this whole big mess, which is what this is. I understand it's a mess. The only one left to blame will be Major Gardner. So it's clearly in his interest to make statements like that, that I've convinced myself that I'm guilty. I can discuss this. um, Sorry, yes, that I've convinced myself that I'm not guilty. Um, My point being that he's convinced himself that I am guilty. And I've got something to say about this, if you're interested. This will just take a second. Um, After uh, Elizabeth and I, initially when this crime happened, there were two officers in charge of this case: a uh, detective, an uh, investigator, Reed, and Invest- investigator, Gardner. And after Elizabeth and I left the country, uh, investigator Reed left the Bedford County Sheriff's Department, um, you know, no doubt under a cloud, and made a career elsewhere. Okay, and um, investigator Gardner was left and came to England to interrogate Elizabeth and me, with obviously a lot of pressure on him to you know, solve the case, find somebody to blame for this horrible crime. And it was a horrible crime. And, you know, they they did need to find somebody, okay? There's no disputing that. But that's a lot of pressure to put on a young officer who, frankly, didn't have a lot of experience, okay? And here's the issue about who's convinced himself of what, okay? Um, On June the 8th, 1986, okay, I gave a confession, Okay, which contained a lot of errors that the real killer would not have made. But the fact is, on June 8, 1986, I did say that I had committed this crime. Here's the thing that investigator Gardner would like everybody to forget, which is that the day before, on June 7, 1986, he and Detective Sergeant Kenneth Beaver interrogated me in that police station, and the following exchange took place. Detective Sergeant Beaver, with Mr. Gardner right there in the room, asked me, would you consider, taking into account your answer, pleading guilty to something you didn't do? And I said, would I consider doing that? Beaver, yes. And I said, I can't say for sure right now, but I can see, I can see it happening, yes. I think it's a possibility. I think it happens in real life. And then Beaver says, I disagree with you, but don't let's get into any legal arguments right now. I'm sorry, I think you answered my question. And then I said, I mean, you know, I couldn't answer that question right now. I certainly hope that. I hope very much that it's not going to come to something like that. Here's my point. This happened the day before I gave my false confession. I told these people, three police officers, what I was planning on doing. And then the next day, 24 hours later, I did this. I did exactly what I told them the day before I was going to do. So nobody can say, and, and, you know, if you want to go to Bedford County Courthouse, there's an audio recording of this for your segment. You can go get this tape, and you can play this if you want, okay?
1: Why did that come up? Why did he ask you that? Why did, what started that My, that?
0: I don't specifically right now. It's in the transcript, okay, and you can look that up. But... Detective Sergeant Beaver was a more experienced officer. He was the most experienced of the three there, okay? And my suspicion is is that he was beginning to sense that there was something really wrong here. Why else would you ask a suspect whether he would consider pleading guilty to something he didn't do? Because he smelled something fishy. Okay. And the really big fish is the one I delivered the next day, which was the false confession. But Detective Sergeant Beaver was not wrong, mm-hmm. Okay? And I can tell you what I was feeling myself when he was asking me these questions. I was nervous as hell because I thought, this guy's figured it out. He's on to me. He knows what I'm planning on doing. And, of course, I had promised Elizabeth to do this. My promise to Elizabeth had been that I would take the rap for her to save her from the electric chair, thinking that I had diplomatic immunity. And, you know, I didn't want to do that until I had a chance to speak with my lawyer, which I never was able to do. They never let the lawyer come in. So I was really scared that I would not be able to save Elizabeth's life, as I had promised. That's what I was worried about here. That's why I was stammering. I mean, you know, uh, you know the, the stammering that I just read to you. you right. know? Because I was so worried that I would not be able to keep my promise. My point is, Detective Gardner, Investigator Gardner, was in the room when this happened. So he has no excuse. He knew the day before, because I told him
1: what I was going to do. Why, um... I mean, I know you're a young kid in love and, you know, starstruck or whatever, but if if my boyfriend hacked somebody up with a knife so their heads were almost falling off, I don't think I'd like to protect them. Okay. Why would you do that?
0: Um, because I didn't know what, I mean, obviously now everybody knows what the crime scene looks like, okay? And it's, you know, unimaginably horrible, okay? And it's very hard to try to put yourself in a position where you can, sort of think yourself into a situation where you don't know that, okay? All she told me is that she had killed her parents, okay? Um, The person I saw in front of me was not Derek and Nancy Hazen. I really, you know, she told me she had killed them, but frankly, I mean, my only contact with that sort of thing was, you know, Matlock, okay? And Matlock is not particularly gruesome, and so it's not so bad on some level, okay? The person that I saw in front of me, okay, was my girlfriend, the woman I loved, and she was the one who was suffering. The only suffering that I saw in that moment, in, on about 2 o'clock in the morning on uh, March 31st, 1985, the only person I saw was Elizabeth Hayson, and it was her suffering that I was thinking about. Did she and, have blood on her? Yes, she did, on her forearms. Her hands were clean, but there was brown stuff on her forearms, right, and she was wearing different pants, and, um, and frankly, I mean, look, there's no doubt this was, you know, I'm still sort of mind-blown by my, you know, misjudgment, you know, in that moment that I could come up with something so incredibly stupid, okay? Um, but you have to also sort of put yourself into my situation and, as you just said, when somebody you love tells you something that outrageously shocking you know you are sort of stunned, shocked and you're not thinking clearly you know so' that's, that's part of what's going on here too that you know my whole world had just blown apart and the only thing I was, that I was sort of processing was is that you know on top of everything else, they're going to fry her because she kept saying that you know she's going to go to the electric chair you know and and I, I just i couldn't let that happen my whole mind focused on not letting that happen i can't let her go to the electric chair not going to happen
1: at what point did you learn how brutal the attack had been
0: um during the extradition proceedings okay because part of the extradition proceedings um the 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 the, the prosecution submitted paperwork which at that time i still remember this actually were photocopies um, of the crime scene photographs. I, 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 I'm i not sure I ever actually myself at any point ever actually saw the crime scene photographs. I do remember seeing the photocopies of the photographs, and that would have been like in 87, okay? But, um, you know, there was nothing like that in the newspapers at the time. You know, there was a description. They called it a, you know, a brutal crime, but, I mean, newspapers... They always, you know, this, it's the same words, you know, that there's, you, you, can, you, you don't get a sense of it, right. you know. Um, certainly, it, it would not have been at any, you know, by any means before 87, because the extradition proceedings started in Bow Street Magistrates Court on January 1st, 1987. And um, I still remember that day very, very well.
1: Once you heard how bad it was, did you change your mind? To, uh, about
0: now, my, I changed my mind before that. Um, you know, I... Um, I really started coming out of the whole, sort of, it's, it's um, you know, there's some question whether the term fully adieu, which I think you, you've heard in connection with this, the, um, is really the direct, the, the correct diagnosis. Um, but um, I was, I was a sort of obsessed, I was definitely in an obsessive relationship with Elizabeth, there's no question. Um, I've always felt that that came about really after the crime, Okay. Um, because of this enormous secret that we were keeping, okay? Um, before then, from my perspective, okay, we were actually just having a pretty normal boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, okay? I only knew her, you have to remember this, I only knew her for about two, uh, we were, no, didn't know her, but we were only boyfriend-girlfriend for about two and a half months, maybe three months before this crime, okay? So this was not, you know, obviously I was very much in love with her, but this was not some sort of really, really intense relationship, Um, until we both had to carry this enormous secret around with each other for about a year, a year and and three months. Mm -hmm. And that really, I mean, I know it twisted me. Having to keep that a secret, it really messed me up. Um, I started coming out of that with the help of two psychiatrists uh, in England in the months after the the interrogation, okay? And... um, you know, the really ironic thing is is that um, even though I was able to do some talking with them, even with them, um, I was not able yet to really let go and face up to what I had done with my life by telling these lies. And the really crazy thing is, you know, it's looking back, it's almost unbelievable, but towards the end of 1986, it became clear that, the, you know, the, the, the American government had lodged an extradition request, which would be, begin on January 1st, 1987, and that it would most likely be a, a death penalty case. So the, at that point, the German government planned to file a competing extradition request to Germany because, in fact, I could be tried there for the American crime. And, of course, the American government wouldn't give the German government any evidence because the American government wanted me. Right. And, you know, you're not going to give the Germans any evidence to send the guy that you want to Germany. So the German government had no evidence to support the extradition request. And the really, you know, looking back, it's, it's almost, you know, it's, it's surreal. Um, I actually had to confess to the whole thing all over again to the German government so that they could file an extradition request and, get, and save me from the death penalty. So, you know, looking back, you know, it, it really, you know, don't lie to the police <laughs> because, it, you know, it just creates terrible, terrible, terrible problems. And, and for me, you know, I, I was actually in the weird position of having to repeat the lie um, to try to save my own life with an extradition request to Germany. And, of course, that was filed and it was denied.
1: Now... Uh- you know, a jury did find you guilty, and I know that there was a little bit of a deadlock there initially, according to mm-hmm. the records. But uh, uh, and a lot of people still today believe you are guilty. Sure. And you're not going to be able to convince them otherwise.
0: Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really trying to convince them. I understand that there are a lot of people who are very heavily invested in this. Um, and you do want somebody... It's it's a natural human emotion to want somebody to blame. And in my opinion, that's the main reason I was convicted in the first place and and the main reason why I spent so many years in prison. Um,
1: Not too many innocent people admit to killing somebody.
0: um, That's actually not right. I'm sorry, but it's incorrect. There have been 250 approximately DNA exonerations and 25%, 25% of DNA exonerations involve false confessions here in Virginia Earl Washington Junior all four the Norfolk Four okay this is much much more common than people think and in my particular case there's really good reasons to at least suspect okay at least suspect that my confession was in fact false quite apart from the fact that the day before I gave it I told these people what I was planning on doing, the confession itself contains numerous errors which the real killer would not have made, including placing one of the victims in the wrong room. Okay? If you kill somebody, you are going to know what room you did it in. Okay? The whole knife issue, what actually happened with the knife, which we now have a potential answer to with Tony Buchanan's testimony. That's, you know, if you kill somebody, you're going to know what you did with a knife, and what kind of knife it is. I described the wrong kind of knife. It's like, Could confess- you have
1: done that on purpose, though? Purpose Why? That you Why? Tried to confuse them, so that you hoped this whole case would be confused? I mean, the, the, the,
0: the, I mean the, the, the sensible thing to do is to say absolutely nothing, okay? Which is what I had been doing for three days, until the very last day, when I kept my promise to Elizabeth. The whole process of those interrogations lasted over four days, okay? Um, June the 5th to June the 8th, 1986, okay? And for the first three and a half days, I deliberately admitted nothing because I was hoping to talk to a lawyer before I kept my promise to Elizabeth to take the rap for her. They never did let me speak with a lawyer. If they had, okay, the lawyer would have hopefully told me, hey, son, you don't actually have diplomatic immunity. Mm -hmm. And then I would have told the truth and...
1: You, were you know, in custody when you were, or were you coming in freely? When no, you were no, this was in
0: England. We were in oh, England, you were in right? Yeah, we were in, yeah, we were in England, right. England, right? Gotcha. And um, you know, this is the, this was the problem. Um, you know, at the pretrial trial hearing on the interrogations, okay, you have to remember I was being questioned in England, and they do things differently over there, okay? They had the police station logbook, and they actually had an entry in the police station logbook to be kept in comunicado. No American policeman would ever do this because, of course, over here you have a right to counsel. You don't have that in that form in England. What they were doing under English law was actually more or less legal. But under American law, it was illegal. And, you know.
1: Why wouldn't you submit to um, the, initially, when first asked to give blood, DNA, whatever samples? Okay. Why wouldn't you initially just go ahead but and do it But that's right. supposedly did.
0: Um, well, she did actually do it. Okay. What happened was is that immediately after the crime, she submitted um, blood and fingerprints. Okay. And then the investigation turned away from her. Okay. And then two months later, she was at the house with some of her siblings and the best friend of her mother, Annie Massey. Okay. And they were cleaning the house, preparing it for sale. And Annie Massey observed Elizabeth removing her shoe and comparing her foot to the bloody sock print at the crime scene. okay, And she told that to the police. And that's what got the police interested in Elizabeth again. okay. So when college started back up again, they called in Elizabeth, and she gave her sock prints. All right? And at that stage, we decided that they're closing in. We better get out of here. This is not going to work. We better leave. okay. Having made that decision that we were going to flee the country, okay. My decision was, it's too late for Elizabeth. She's already given a, you know, fingerprints, um, but I'm not going to do that because I'm going to spend the rest of my life on the run. Twenty years from now, okay, I might get arrested in Bielorussia or, or Indonesia someplace, and they might take my fingerprints and find out that I'm not you know, Joe Smith, but Jens Zuring, you know, who's being sought in Bedford County, Virginia, for something that happened 20 years ago. So the decision was stop cooperating. Stop giving them anything that they could use to find us, and you know, looking back, that was that would have been the right decision to make if, in fact, you know, we would have, we could have stayed on the run. But of course, we didn't.
1: How soon after the killing were you ever first questioned in it?
0: October 1985. That's about seven months or something.
1: And at that time, were at they that time investigating you as a possible suspect?
0: N- no, it was not actually questioning. It was they. Uh, it was not an interrogation. I think it was. Maybe I don't even know this precise term, but it was not in custody interrogation. Right. They asked me to come in. I did come in voluntarily and talk to them. And, then, and it was during that and then um, it was during that in, uh, in questioning session, not an interrogation, a questioning session, that investigator Reed told me that he was 99 percent sure that I was innocent. And he, he wanted to basically complete that, go from 99 percent to 100 percent. If only I would give him my fingerprints and blood. And I told him, you know, you don't have any probable cause, do you? And, and he, he admitted he did not have any probable cause. And like any sensible person, especially anybody who's planning on going on the run, I didn't give it to him. And just a couple of days later, we both left.
1: See, I think any sensible person would give it to him if they didn't do it.
0: Yes, but I'd already promised Elizabeth that I would take a rap for her if we got arrested. The last thing we wanted, the last thing I wanted, is to basically hurry that moment along. If I don't actually have to take the rap for her, if we're not actually in custody, if they haven't got us yet, well, obviously you're gonna go on the run. I mean, nobody's volunteering to go into prison, but if there's no other options left, then yes, I would take the rap for her.
1: You're smart enough to concoct or think of in your head that uh, I I don't want them to be able to trace me in some other country, so I'm not giving them this evidence. Aren't you smart enough to concoct the story you're telling now and not be true?
0: Um, You know what? If there was any kind of forensic evidence linking me to the crime scene at all, okay, I think you would have some justification in saying that. But here's a really important fact, and I hope you actually check this with some police officers. In knife assaults, in knife murders, okay, the perpetrator almost always, almost always injures himself, okay, So knife murders are actually very much like rapes as far as DNA is concerned. You would definitely expect to find the perpetrator's DNA at the crime scene, okay? And we now have 42 DNA samples that cannot be linked to me. 11 of them them totally exclude me, okay? And that is just not plausible, okay? Given the kind of... As we just discussed earlier, the kind of brutal attack that this was, it had to be some DNA from the perpetrator at the crime scene. Had to be. And we know there is. It's unidentified. Okay? Um, Again, look at the rest of the forensic evidence. You asked me whether my story is plausible. Okay? Look at the forensic evidence to check whether my story is plausible. Whose fingerprints are at the crime scene? Not mine. Elizabeth's. Of okay now
1: writing wiped it down right
0: you know but okay what so what is mm-hmm. the theory now that she committed it with me or something i mean you know some you know fact is my fingerprints weren't there elizabeth's were and to me most significantly because we now have tony Buchanan's testimony her father was found in the living room okay right next to him was a small table with a shot glass now both victims had very, very high blood alcohol levels, 0.22. That's more than twice the drunk driving limit. That shot glass on the table next to Derek Hasem's body, okay, had his fingerprints on one side and unidentified fingerprints on the other side, okay? Again, this matches what I've been saying all along. You've got unidentified DNA. You've got unidentified fingerprints, and now you've got an unidentified man with Elizabeth in the car with a bloody knife and blood on the floorboard. We, you know, this this person exists. We've got his DNA, we've got his fingerprints, and we've got a witness seeing him, you know. Mm -hmm. All we have to do now is actually persuade Mr. Gardner to do his job. And I'd like to say at this stage that I'm really, I would like to ask, please, the governor, if he's going to order an investigation to find this person, to make it an independent investigation for the reasons cited earlier, You know, Mr. Gardner is not a neutral party to this. He's trying to preserve his reputation and his career and his life's work. I want this person found, okay? We know he exists from the fingerprint, the DNA, and the witness, but it has to be somebody independent looking into this.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I I guess you you were saying earlier Ricky Gardner was young and needed to hang his hat on something and that's why you think he has it out for you and wants to stick to this plan?
0: It's not specifically that he has it in for me, okay? But once you've, made, once you've made a terrible mistake, and this is something I know a lot about. I know a lot about making a terrible mistake and not wanting to admit it to yourself, okay? And finding other people to blame, okay? And through the last 25 years, I've gone through a long period of psychological and spiritual development. And one of the great turning points for me came right around 10, 11 years ago when I was able to start facing the fact that the only person really to blame for my being in prison is myself because I'm the guy who lied to the cops. Okay? You know, that's, Ricky Gardner did not set out to get me and set me up. I offered myself up. Okay? And that doesn't excuse what he did because I, as I would read to you earlier, you know, I explained to him what I was doing, which was taking the route for somebody else that's on tape but nevertheless it was my fault i should have told the truth you know i knew that what i was doing was illegal i had the option of calling the cops the night she told me i had the option of telling the truth when i was being questioned i didn't do that so the person to blame here is me and that's very very hard to reach that insight into your self and your own life and your problems and essentially you know my view is is that You know, Mr. Gardner hasn't reached that yet. That, you know, when he was young, he made a big mistake. Just like when I was young, I made a big mistake. And, you know, sooner or later, your mistakes catch up to you. And unfortunately for Mr. Gardner, his mistakes are catching up to him now. You know.
1: I I asked this question earlier, um, but I don't think you answered it directly. But at the time of your... At the time when you were working with your lawyers for your case Mm -hmm. and you have this alibi where you bought movie tickets and you um, ordered room service or you're telling them that.
0: And don't forget the check, the The, the, the $50 check with my handwriting on the back and the date stamp, which Elizabeth didn't know about. To to the Marriott Hotel to get cash. Oh, okay. So there, there, there was that as well.
1: Um, but did your lawyers try to find the person who yep. you bought the tickets from and the room service records? Absolutely. Did they, they the, find them? No, the
0: room service records had been destroyed. Um, because it was not it, it, time Right. Time. It, was, it was actually, it was, right. And, um, the, you know, this was, you remember this is the late 1980s, but he did look into it, um, you know, the, at, at the Marriott Hotel. There was no way to get the room service records anymore, okay? Um, with the check, I, I, I believe he actually managed to, I'm not sure about the check, but I think he actually found somebody connected with a check. But that person could not confirm the time of day. I'm, I'm, I'm not totally clear on that. But I know he tried really hard to pin when this down. Hmm?
1: When did you write that check? When did you write
0: that check? In between the first movie and the second movie when I went back to the hotel. okay, And, I, you know, Elizabeth had taken the money. She had taken the car keys and taken the money for gas. And I didn't have enough money, so I, had, I went to the front desk and wrote a check. And they did an imprint of my Visa card. And I signed it. And it was date stamped. And uh, when Elizabeth was asked anything about this, she didn't know about it because she wasn't there. She was riding off in in the the Chevrolet. Um, So, I mean, that was, you know, but unfortunately that could not be nailed down time-wise. Now, the tickets could be nailed down time-wise, but that wasn't until after the trial. And that got barred on the 21-day rule.
1: But why did that not come out? If You knew about those tickets. Why did it come he out? He had
0: out? them. I mean, they, they had, uh, the lawyer, Rick Neaton, he had the tickets.
1: But never submitted it?
0: Um, no, they were used at my trial. But okay. he, you know, he did not find the movie theater owner Person until, until after week. the trial. Okay, And that gets into the whole issue of Ricky Gardner, which we can briefly recycle here as well. I mean, in 1995, he lost his license because he basically, the the polite term is misappropriated, for you and me that stole uh, money from various different clients, including me, creating false affidavits, mishandling my appeal, um, and a couple of other things. Um, You know, he lost his license to practice law, and his defense, which was accepted by the Bar Association, at least as a partial defense, was that he had a mental or emotional disability that materially impacted his ability to practice law from 1989 to 1992. So during my trial, I had a lawyer who was mentally disabled. And that may answer your question why he didn't track down this movie theater owner until after my trial. Okay, mm-hmm. um, certainly, certainly, even Rick Neaton today, if he had the 42 DNA samples that could not be linked to me, and if he had Tony Buchanan on the stand, even Rick Neaton could win this case now. I mean, that's something that I hope very, very much is going to be important to Governor McDonald as a lawyer and as an attorney, former attorney general. Any lawyer, any, any prosecutor would be very, very reluctant to even take this case anywhere near a courtroom because if a jury heard that evidence, they're going to acquit.
1: There's, is, this reasonable, is, doubt. there's
0: reasonable doubt here. With Tony Buchanan and the 42 DNA samples, there's reasonable doubt.
1: Uh, What is waiting for you in Germany? Why do you so badly want to go back to Germany?
0: It's home. I don't know where you're from. If you're from from Virginia, you probably like being in Virginia. I want to go home, okay? And the other thing is I want to be free. I've, I've lost 25 years of my life for something I did not do. And I am really, really, really tired. And, you know, looking at a case like Mr. Hainsworth, who, who did even more time than I did, 27 years, you know, I'm so happy for him. I'm just overjoyed for him. And, and I just, I can't help but hope and, and wish that, you know, the governor is, is going to do the same thing for me that he did for him, you know. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, there, there is a precedent now. There is a precedent now. And I'm not asking for as much as, I mean, I mean I'm, you know, I'm not in any way criticizing Mr. Hainsworth. I think, you know, he's doing exactly the right thing for his situation. But I'm not seeking a writ of actual innocence. I'm not even seeking a pardon. I just want to leave, okay? Nobody has to, you know, Ricky Gardner can maintain his reputation if he likes, okay? I just want to leave. And, you know, the basic reason for that is, is that You know, I know where I was on March 30th, 1985. Nobody has to tell me, okay? I was in Washington, D.C. I do not need Virginia to tell me I'm innocent. I know it. So it's okay to just send me home. I've been eligible for parole since 2003. There are really good reasons to parole me, which have nothing to do with the case, okay? I have... Amazing institutional record. I'm sorry, that's true. Never had an infraction. Um, And I've written seven uh, books while while I've been in here. So, you know, you don't even have to talk about Tony Buchanan and the DNA, you know?
1: Um, In Germany, you would end up in prison there, but be paroled. No. You'd be just...
0: No, that was under the repatriation. Under parole, um, I I would be a free man, yeah.
1: You want to be... What are you asking for the governor for?
0: Parole. Parole, right.
1: And to be... Transferred to Germany. Well,
0: that's automatic. That's automatic, right. um, um, What what, what the previous governor had agreed to was a repatriation, um, which, you know, had two benefits for Virginia. The repatriation would have kept me under some sort of court supervision and prison supervision for another two years, and, of course, the DNA would have never come out, which would have kept Mr. Gardner happy. But, unfortunately, that did not go through, and now we're in a position where that's really not possible anymore. Okay, and all that's left now is parole, and that would mean as soon as I'm granted parole, I would be transferred to a federal facility, didn't out. I've already, the, the immigration process has already been done. That was actually done in 1992, and officially, on paper, legally, I've already been deported. They're just waiting to pick me up, okay, and they'll gladly do it, you know, and, and, and I'll gladly go. And I would be barred from ever returning to the United States. So, what you know, you, if, if public safety is a concern, I would never be able to return.
1: What um, What would you do in Germany? What would be your plans if you did get there? Your family, your. Um, you still have family there. I
0: still have family in Germany. I um, I, I have a, a job offer um, at, a, at a small Catholic publishing house through, um, you know, my oldest German supporter. Um, um I have a great network of friends over there um, um you know it's very difficult in my current situation I don't really allow myself to think about what I would do in Germany if I got over there because I have to concentrate on what I'm doing now, which is getting to Germany um and you know the fact is. You know, I don't know whether this gives anybody in Virginia any satisfaction, but um, having lost 25 years of your life and then being released, okay, that's not a happy ending, okay? That's an end to the pain and the suffering, but it's not a happy ending. And, you you know, the only way to fix this for me is to put me in a time machine. And, you know, that's not going to happen. I've missed... The best years of my life. I um, there are many things that I really really wanted, which I'm never going to have, such as I'm probably not going to ever be able to have children, um, mostly because I'm you know what, what the heck am I going to do to earn a living, you know? Um, it's it's you know I, in other words, it's going to be really difficult to, to think of some way to support a family, which I would really really like to do. Um, you know, I, I used to work in in, this, in, the, in my previous prison. I used to work in the visiting room as the visiting room photographer. Family members can come in and you can take their pictures with their, with their, mm-hmm. with their incarcerated um, family members. And, of course, there are, you know, a lot of children there. I, I used to, I wrote my first book in that visiting room. Um, and it was, you know, it was kind of a relief because I could put my face down and write because it actually hurt to see, you know, all these children and to realize that I would never have that. Of course, at that time, I didn't think I would ever get, be able to get out of prison as well, but I, you know, to, to think that I would never have that. And and it's, it's something I, I I would really like, but I don't think it's ever gonna be happening for me now. And if it makes anybody out there happy, then, you know, be happy about that.
1: I have heard you um, apologize in another interview. Um, you know, for to the family, you said you were Virginia and and the, and the family an apology for lying because that hurt them. The lying didn't hurt them. Lying hurt you.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's true. How I'm did, sorry. I think I think, I think I think I uh, think I think the truth has a value that's objective and in and of, in and of itself. Um, if a lie makes you happy, you're not really happy. You're living a lie. I know this very well because of my relationship with Elizabeth Hayson. So, the family members and, 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 you know, the the Bedford community and and, and Lynchburg and so forth and Roanoke, I mean, you you people deserve the truth because the truth has value. The truth matters. And, you know, if it makes you, if a lie, if, if the lie that I'm guilty makes you feel happy, makes the victim's family feel happy, then... That's not real happiness. real happiness is facing the truth, even if it hurts, because at least you're living in reality and and so I, I think lying in and of itself hurt the victim's family, it hurt the community, Bedford, Lynchburg, and roanoke. you know it, it I should have told the truth, and I, I, you know I should, this is something I, I should have known, and on some level I did know, and it just looking back. I'm just so sorry. You know, if if I could at all, and it, and it even hurt Elizabeth, I think, ultimately long-term. If I could do this over again, I'm so sorry. You know, okay. I, they, 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 you know, and, and.
1: You Have know. you ever expressed any comments on the murder itself and the brutality of it? Any feeling on that whatsoever? Or? <sighs>
0: um... You know, I don't think I. you asked me whether I'd ever expressed any, 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 any feelings on that. Um, you know, you have to look at this from my point of view, okay? I, you, you can't ask me to apologize or feel sorry for something that I didn't do, okay? So, you know, this was a horrible, horrible crime. You can look at it and see that it was, you know, just unbelievable. The thing, unfortunately, because of the situation that I put myself in, and this is my fault, okay, but my primary internal relationship to that is, unfortunately, and, and this is, I know this is, makes me look bad, but it's the truth, okay, my primary internal relationship to this is to say, yeah, but I was 300 miles away, okay. So because I'm in prison for something I didn't do, it's very hard for me to connect with that because, you know, I've had two and a half decades of my life robbed because of my own lie, but because of that act, which somebody else did. So
1: you can't, I mean, say you're horrified that your girlfriend killed her parents? Oh, that, I am. Right? That
0: Absolutely. I mean, that, that goes without saying. Absolutely. but. Okay, that 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 gets into some complicated issues which I don't mind talking about on camera, but it, it does take time, okay? Um Do we have enough tape? <laughs> you know, well I don't know whether you know this whether this is usable or not, but I mean oh boy. Earlier I spoke about the fact that I made sort of a journey spiritually and emotionally and psychologically in here. And part of that journey was, you know, Obviously, for a long time, there was a lot of anger in my. I felt a lot of anger for Elizabeth Hayson, okay. And one of the people that I developed a sense of regret about was actually Elizabeth Hayson, which sounds strange because I think that most people out there would expect me to hate her, okay. And and I promise you, I did for about ten years. I'm I'm a human being, okay. Um, I'm a human being. But about 10 or 11 years ago, that began to change, okay? And, and part of that process of change was um, developing some compassion for her, okay? Uh, you asked me about the crime, that's, where, that's what I'm connecting this up to. Um, you know, I've had a lot of time to you know, read about, generally speaking, people like Elizabeth, okay? People who have borderline personality disorder, who are drug addicts, pathological liars, okay? Most people have a very strong negative reaction to that, okay? Um, Actually, with borderline personality disorder, I I, I read some psychiatric textbooks on it, trying to understand Elizabeth, and not even psychiatrists like borderline personality disorders. Uh, They pass them off to other doctors, and there's actually a book that discusses why you should stop passing your borderline clients off onto your colleagues. It's not mm-hmm. a nice thing to do. They're not nice people, okay? But people are like that for a reason, okay? And this crime happened for a reason, okay? And it had something to do with the Haysom family, okay? And Elizabeth's own past. Um, and I have compassion for that, Okay? She was not fully responsible for her actions, okay? She was mentally ill and on drugs, and she was 20 years old. I understand that this is not something that makes a lot of sense to listeners, you know, but I'm a German citizen, okay, and my sense of um, what is just in a legal system is obviously based on the German legal system and not the American legal system. I understand the crime happened in America but you asked me about my feelings, and my feelings and my judgments are based on my culture and my legal system. Mm -hmm. In my country, anyone who's 21 or under is considered a juvenile most of the time in court, okay, almost always actually, all right? So they would not be subject to life sentence at all, and certainly not to anything like what Elizabeth has spent in, in prison. Mental illness would be considered a mitigating factor, and even drug abuse would be considered a mitigating factor, okay? So, under my sense of what would be judged, what would, what would be just, okay, Elizabeth, in my country, would have spent maybe eight to ten years in prison, okay? And she's spent 25 in there, and she's not received any treatment. That's the other thing. You know, in, in, in my country, she would have received treatment for her issues, and she really does need treatment because she's obviously still fully in her illness, Okay? And so I have pity for that, okay? And you asked me about the crime. That, the crime grew out of a certain history and, and, and context that had to do with her. And once I was able to let go of my anger about 10 or 11 years ago, I was able to sort of connect with that more and, and um, feel some compassion there, okay? And... Um, if I'd like to add something to that, if it, but I'd like to not use this necessarily in the interview. Okay, okay? you know, um, there's a whole issue which is discussed in Mrs. Ball's letter to the governor of 19th January, which is um, the whole issue of sexual abuse. Okay, and we can talk about that if you want to, yeah. but it's yeah. going to take I mean, a long time, yeah. and you know, um, and it, it's not necessarily usable for what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. um, but that's, you know, it's a factor. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and once one of the problems with my trial was that that whole issue of sexual abuse was never brought out, Mm -hmm. okay? And I don't think you can understand that crime, as horrible as it is, okay? And that's why this is actually relevant, and maybe you do need to use it, okay? I don't think you can really understand that crime until you understand that the person who committed that unbelievable horror, okay, which is what it is, had been sexually abused, okay, with photographs that are still in Bedford County Courthouse today, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's not something I'm making up. That's in the court records. There's a, psych- there's a psychiatrist, okay? a, a, a pretrial psych- psychiatric exam um, that's in the courthouse records, the photographs in the courthouse records. Mrs. Massey, Nancy Hayes' best friend, testified to this. This is not something I'm making up. Mm-hmm. But once you know that, once you know that fact, and it is a fact, and it's a sad fact, but it is is a fact, once you know that fact, then you understand where that crime came from, and also you understand why I was willing to take the rap for her, okay? Because one of the things she said to me was, they deserved it anyway, and I knew what she meant. And I didn't necessarily agree with that, but I had sympathy with that. And I didn't think that she should be executed for that. (coughs) You want to change table yeah. no quick? will make it